Thanks for listening to this podcast from Christ Church of Orinoco. Our hope is that it would help you discover completeness in Jesus. Now for this week's teaching. But to Jonah this seemed very wrong, and he became angry. He prayed to the Lord, Isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? That is what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, Lord, take away my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. But the Lord replied, Is it right for you to be angry? Jonah had gone out and sat down at a place east of the city. There he made himself a shelter, sat in its shade and waited to see what would happen to the city. Then the Lord God provided a leafy plant and made it grow up over Jonah to give shade for his head to ease his discomfort, and Jonah was very happy about the plant. But at dawn the next day God provided a worm, which chewed the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God provided a scorching east wind, and the sun blazed on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. He wanted to die and said, It would be better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, Is it right for you to be angry about the plant? It is, he said, and I'm so angry I wish I were dead. But the Lord said, You have been concerned about this plant, though you did not tend to it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight and died overnight. And should I not have concern for the great city of Nineveh, in which there were more than a 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left, and also many animals? Jonah chapter 4. Good morning, church. Let's have our Bibles open to Jonah 4 as we're going to be looking at this text this morning as we finish our series, I Am Jonah, looking at how we learn about God through the good and bad of life, and that What I really want you to take home is that most of Jonah's story is my story, and I think it may be yours as well. How do we interact with God? How do we respond when God's will is not our will? And how do we trust him when God has big dreams and plans that don't always match up with ours? We began this story, I said that most people know it as a children's story, and they know it as Jonah and the whale or Jonah and the big fish. And I actually want to reframe it to be what I think it is, and it's Jonah and the big God. And how do we react to that? How do we respond? We know for three chapters that Jonah had been given a task by God. He was a prophet of God. So he had given himself to God as a spokesman for God's will. And God had given him a task to go to the the town of Nineveh. The city of Nineveh is the capital of Assyria. And to offer them a chance to be forgiven. To tell them to repent of their evil. To take seriously the warning of God and turn from wickedness to give up their militarism, their violence, their oppression. And then they'd all live happily ever after, right? Well, in a, a Dickens novel, maybe, or a Disney movie, maybe they do. But in this story, it's interesting. You would expect that this would end with, and Jonah went to his own land rejoicing. But he doesn't. We find Jonah pouting. Now, my parents will tell you that I could pout professionally, and I think they're right. Nothing would make, I could smart off to my dad and get in less problem than when my bottom lips stuck out and my shoulders drooped and I act like the whole world was ending. I'm probably the only person in the room who pouts, right? Well, me and Jonah. 
You see, in chapter one, Jonah's defection was met by God's pursuit. In chapter two, Jonah's prayer was met with God's mercy. In chapter three, the will of God met Jonah's will and Jonah submitted. And in chapter four, as we conclude our series, Jonah meets the love of God and it's not always enjoyable. Look at verse one with me from Jonah chapter four. But to Jonah, this seemed very wrong and he became angry. (laughs) What? Now, I don't want to make too much fun of him here, but here I can. Angry is a big word. Angry is a big word. Think about it. Can you be, talk to me, church. Can you be disappointed with God and it be okay? Yeah, you can. God's not fooled by our emotions. Can you be frustrated with what's going on in the world and somehow blame God? Yeah, we do. Can you be concerned, but angry? I'm thinking as a child, there were many times my parents would say things to me like, use your words. And I was scared because my words would come across and I might get in trouble. But to say to my dad, I'm angry at you, that would have been quite interesting. You know where anger comes from, right? Anger comes from people and things that get in your way of having what you want. If you boil it right down to the things we become angry at are not always bad. They may be good and noble. A child is hurt by somebody and you become angry because that shouldn't happen and you want to make sure it doesn't happen. But anger comes from something being in the way of what we think should happen. Jonah's angry at God. Why? Because he just saved people. It's a strange anger and it comes from a heart issue, a misunderstanding of God's love. This is what chapter four teaches us. This is why it's not tidy. This is why it's not an epic story that people tell over and over because it ends awkwardly. Jonah struggles deep down inside with a misunderstanding of God's love. He's experienced it, but he doesn't grasp it. He doesn't hold on to it. He may not even relish it. What I'm gonna tell you today may not be new, and I'm not embarrassed to tell you that. The challenge of today is not new. The challenge of today is important. And sometimes going back to the simple blocking and tackling of everyday life is what the gospel brings us to. We can get so caught up in the the big and the esoteric that we, we miss the true, real truth. We're a people that have been called to love God with everything we are and to love our neighbors as ourselves. And there is something in this story that leads us to this. A misunderstanding of God's love. So let's look at God's love in chapter four and let's apply it to ourselves Because what we will learn when we say, I am Jonah, may be one of the purest confessions we make today. Because Jonah had to learn this, and so do we. And I hope we will. First of all, God's love for us is patient. It's one of the things I draw as you take all these four chapters together and why I wanted us to focus on this particular book at this time in the history of our nation and in our community and culture right now is that the love of God for us is patient. One commentator said that Jonah is struggling with the promiscuity of God's love. Well, maybe even today we might sing a song that celebrates this. And I think it's kind of funny because I don't know if you know this, but in the Christian world, one of the songs we're gonna sing in worship today talks about the reckless love of God. And there are a lot of people who have camped on either side of that. They hate that it's called reckless. That's an inappropriate word. It's a shallow word. And other people go, no, it's a provocative word. And I want it to be provocative today. God's love can be reckless. If you don't believe it, ask Jonah. How could God love those people? Those violent, evil, corrupt people. It's reckless of him to love them. 
And yet God says, yeah, I know, and I do. You see, because Jonah struggles with the recklessness of God's love, he misses the patience of God's love. Yes, it is reckless of God to be this patient with the belligerent people like us. But can we praise God today that in his reckless love we found him? And that we saw what he was doing for us and our hearts changed because of the movement of his spirit with us. See, God's love, we have to be clear about this. There's a theology of God's love that I think is crucially important in American culture. God's love is not motivated by his need to love. But instead, it's motivated by our need to be loved. Church, hang with me on this. You may say, yeah, I knew that. No, think about it. Our love is always selfishly motivated, or most of the time, isn't it? We give our love out so that we receive love back. God gives his love out because we need loved. And some don't return it to him, but his love still goes forward. Ask any human who struggles with human nature, and we give love out until we don't receive it back, and then what do we do to our love? We cut it off. We end it. Well, that person won't give me anything back, so I'm no longer going to love them. That's why Jesus said, we should, if we love with the love of God, we will love our enemies and even those who harm us. So when we talk about the promiscuous, reckless, patient love of God, I want you to understand that it is a love that flows from him because we need his love and he knows that. Jonah hasn't learned that yet. And maybe you and I haven't either. You see, because we might ask the question, well, if Jonah struggles like this, is he actually one of God's? Is he actually a man of God? Is he actually pursuing God? We use the term in our culture today, was he actually ever saved? And I need you to understand, salvation is not a hall pass. It's not a secret handshake. It doesn't let us into the private club behind the curtain that nobody else gets into. If you are a person saved by the love of God, you are his. The sign of salvation is who do you belong to? Not does God belong to you, but whether or not we belong to God. I keep saying it over and over, and then you'll be glad when this series is over. Your preacher's Jonah. I struggle with this often, confusing what God's giving me from the fact that God is giving me himself, which is so far beyond one day when I die, will I be with him? I can be with him right now, fully, invested, loved, being fully and willingly God's possession is what it means to have the new life, what it means to be born again. Jonah's story is that you and I will live and die each day by the patient, reckless love of God, or we won't. Remember the words that Jonah cried out in the belly of the fish in Jonah chapter 3, verses 5 and 6. Listen to them. The engulfing waters threatened me. The deep surrounded me. Seaweed was wrapped around my head. To the roots of the mountain I sank down. The earth beneath barred me in forever. But you, Lord my God, brought my life up from the pit. He understood the love of God. He understood the rescue of God. He understood that God can do the incredible. God can do the miraculous. And God's love reaches down and it pulls rebellious people out of their drowning to safety. He gets it at times. He'd, been, he'd accepted the call of God. He'd rejected the call of God. He repented of his rejection. He submitted to God. He was saved by a fish. He successfully converted 120,000 people of an evil city. And at the end of the day, he's sullen and angry because he didn't grasp God's love for him 
And when we don't grasp God's love for us, we won't have love for anybody else. All the way back to week one, the core for me of Jonah's teaching is that when we are self-sufficient, we believe we can live our lives without the will of God having anything to do with us. And when we're self-righteous, we believe that God saved us and that's reasonable, but to save others, it's rather reckless. And so what we learn is that the death of self-sufficiency and self-righteousness is understanding the patient love of God. And away from the core of God's love for us, we will become religious, we will become judgmental, we will become the kind of people that set up rules because it's easier to live by rules than it is to live by love. And we must caution ourselves. We do not need Superman to swoop in from metropolitan city, rescue us, and leave us alone to start over. No, we need a God who walks with us, who walks toward us, and who we follow as he leads. Our faithfulness is not self-generated. Our faithfulness can only be generated by a full understanding of the patience of God toward us and then offer that patience toward others. I love in C.S. Lewis's Chronicles of Narnia, the last book's called The Final Battle. And there's a moment in there that's been instrumental for me. So the world that, as they knew it, this Narnian world had, had collapsed and they had gone through the doorway, through the stable door into the new kingdom. And you would think, right, that once they got in through the door into the new kingdom, that they would be satisfied and happy. But God said, whoops, excuse me, Aslan says, further up and further in. Follow me, further up and further in. It's called discipleship. Don't stop at the doorway of the new kingdom. Further up and further in. Following the king who has loved you and called you to invite others. Further up and further in, going and going and going and experiencing this love that God has been so patient to give us. It isn't a one-time surrender. It's a daily surrender. It's awakening each day to say, I'm further up and further in with Jesus. I'm not gonna keep my feet where they're at. There's more, there's more of this abundant life that he is offering me. Because where do we find Jonah in chapter four? He's sitting in a self-made shelter watching the city, and I wonder what he's looking for. Sodom and Gomorrah? Or is he looking for revival? I don't know. But there he sits. It's further up and further in. Think about it. When Jonah actually ran away from God, do you think that in his mind he thought that was wrong and sinful and rebellious? No, he thought he was doing the right thing because those Ninevites don't deserve to be saved. Yet, when the storm came, he realized what he'd done and he'd repented. And yet we come to another moment. In one of the greatest prophetic moments, he becomes angry. Do you think he was not rational about it? Do you think he couldn't justify why he was angry at God? Of course he could justify it. We can justify most anything. Yet in the midst of all of it, they were a threat to his homeland. And he wasn't inaccurate. They would be the tool by which God punished the great nation of Israel for its rebellion. But I have to ask you, if, if the story is we are Jonah, what in your life right now are you excusing as a rational response to your circumstances? Hating, being divisive, speaking ill of other people because they philosophically disagree with you? Or maybe they won and you lost, or you won and they lost, and never seen an election cause people to be given permission to hate so much. And we're not that, are we, church? We're not a people of this world, caught up in the things of this world so that we're giving ourselves rational permission 
to be self-righteous and judgmental. God's love is patient and so should ours be. God's love is not always sweetly sentimental though. Sometimes God's love is hard to live in because it alters us. And not only is his love patient, his love is refining. The truth of the matter is, the Bible says God is a consuming fire, and I want you to think about that. We love fire when it's controlled. A fire in the fireplace this afternoon, I mean, I'm honest, I would love a fire in the fireplace, a big blanket, me laying on the couch, drooling on a pillow. That will be a good afternoon. When it's under 40 degrees, I say we stay indoors, amen? There you go, that you'll respond to. I can't figure you folks out. But I know when that fire gets out of the fireplace, uh, I can't stand it. It will take me out because it is a consuming thing. Controlled, it's beautiful, it's powerful. It says God is a consuming fire. He's not a safe lion, church. He's a powerful lion with all the powers inherent. And if God's love rests on you, it will not leave you unchanged. Look at verses six, seven, and eight with me. And I want you to notice that the word provided or depending on your translation, some of you may have appointed. Listen to the three times that word is used. Then the Lord God provided a leafy plant and made it grow up over Jonah to give shade to his head to ease his discomfort. But at dawn the next day, God provided a worm which chewed the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God provided a scorching east wind and the sun blazed on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. Do you notice that God's provision isn't always pleasant, but it's always effective? God provided the comfort from the heat from a plant Then he provided a a nuisance through a bug, and then he provided discomfort through a scorching wind. Why is God doing this? Why does God do this? Why does God allow troubles, discomforts, and disasters into people's life? Because it is a purifying way by which God breaks us of our dependence on comfort so that we might find a real dependence on him. It's not a jealousy of these things. He is taking the poisons out of our life. He's taking the crutches out of our life so that we lean fully and only on him. It's part of God's sovereignty. God's sovereignty is enough even when it takes things from us. I know some of your stories in this room. I see your faces. And I can celebrate with you when when God's graces as vines grow up around you and protect you. And I also hurt with you when the worms of life take things away from you, and when the winds of life put pressures on you that are hard to bear. You see, the the vines, the worms, and the winds are a part of this broken world we live in, and yet God's grace and sovereignty can be shown through all of them. Dr. Timothy Keller says in his treatment of Jonah that God will wreck your vines. He doesn't do it because he's cruel. He does it so that you learn to trust him more and lean into him and realize that the only things we really lose in this lifetime are the things we were going to lose anyway. And what we gain is the hope and the joy. And like Jonah, we can trust his love and guidance or we can sit and sulk. We get the choice when the worms and the winds come around. We can complain and become angry or we can trust and lean in deeper knowing that God will work all things together for good to those who love him. Did you catch that? To those who love him. It doesn't say God will work together all good things to those who are perfect. Those who legally have it all figured out. Those who behave properly. It comes back to the patient, refining love of God. He is drawing us into the one thing that can't be taken from us, his love. And God's love for us is gracious. This is where I keep landing 
It seems like I have maybe to a degree made Jonah the focus of this book, but I want you to see that from the human side of life, we can see why Jonah does what he does because we do it. But when we focus our eyes on the God side of this story, we realize it's not about Jonah and the great fish. It's about Jonah and a great God. Verses 10 and 11. But the Lord said, you have been concerned about this plant, though you did not tend it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight and died overnight. And should I not have concern for the great city of Nineveh, in which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left, and also many animals? This is where we started in week one. The path of sin and the path of grace. And when they cross, what do we learn? Jonah's emotional response to the, is like a dramatic teenager. Did you notice? How many times in the book of Jonah does he say, I'd rather die, I'd rather be dead? It's, it's like that child who's maturing from a young child to an adult, and you bring something up, and they're like, I don't care. My life is over. It's horrible. And you look at him, and you're like, and we're all laughing because we all said it to our parents, and they let us live. Amen? But sometimes you look at him, and you go, really? You think this is the worst thing that's going to happen to you? Buckle up. Here we go. Life's hard. And Jonah's complaining, I would rather die, I would rather die, I would rather die. And God's like, I love you too much. I'm going to teach you how to live. Instead of wishing for death, I want you to wish for life. So he teaches Jonah a principle. It's like, Jonah, you cared more about not getting a sunburn than you did 120,000 people dying. You see, you and I will never love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. If we don't love him like that... We will never love our neighbor as ourself. Grasping the love of God is the story of Jonah's life. It's the story of mine. Is it a story of yours? You see, Jonah was never going to be satisfied until God let Jonah be God. And God loved him too much to let that happen. So he stripped him of the things that Jonah thought he needed and thought he was and displayed to him who God was. And that's always enough. Because Jonah, or God is giving to Jonah the things that Jonah did not want God to give to the Ninevites. He gave him patience, acceptance, and forgiveness. You see, Jonah's whole obedience to God was based on how others benefited from it. If you allow me, and there's one more book in the Chronicles of Narnia that I appreciate. It's called The Silver Chair. And there's a young lady in this story called Jill Pole. And she goes into the Narnian land. And then she goes to the subterranean land. But that's a different part of the story. But anyway, when Jill first meets Aslan, the great lion, the ruler of Narnia, she asks about what's going to happen to other people. And there's a great line because it says, Aslan says, I'm not going to tell you anybody else's story but your own. In other words, Jill, I need you to trust me. And let me worry about everything else. I wonder maybe if C.S. Lewis wasn't thinking about Jonah's story when he wrote that piece of the silver chair. Jonah, you're worried about the sinners escaping penalty and that's upsetting you. Have you forgotten where you were a few days ago in the belly of the great fish? Where you escaped your penalty? You escaped your punishment? You escaped your judgment? You see... Our love always wants to flow back to us, but God's love always flows outward. So there's a looming question. Will you see the love of God and let it alter your life, even the life of those people? And the book ends. It's a harsh closure, man. It's a slam door. Will Jonah come back to the heart of God? What will happen next? Did Jonah ever learn his lessons? 
I don't know for a fact, but I tend to believe that Jonah was the one who told this story. How else would they know what he thought and prayed in the belly of the fish? How would they know why he ran away? He told somebody this story. Maybe he's not the author, but he is the the prime source for this story. And I tend to believe that you only tell this kind of story if you come to your senses. If I would add chapter five, it'd have one verse. And then Jonah looked at himself as a knucklehead and repented. That's how I would end this story. But I can't end that for Jonah, but I can end it for Mark. How about you? I'd like to write the first verse of chapter five. And Mark Christian realized he's done this too. And he repented and trusted the great grace of God. We chose this series from the very beginning of this year as a statement. Not a statement to be cool or slick, but to be provocative, to be honest. Against the divisive spirit in our culture today. A spirit of superiority, of hatred, dismissal of races, writing people off over differences of opinion and liberty. I cannot speak to all people. I can speak to my own soul. I can speak to my own family. And I'm very honored to be able to speak to a group of believers who call themselves Christ Church of Ornogo. And in this, what I want to tell you is this, when you and I grasp the grace of God for our hearts, if we have experienced and opened ourselves to the patient, refining, and gracious love of God, we will see people differently than we're seeing people today. We will speak differently about people than we're speaking about them today. You and I cannot live outside the will of God. We cannot live outside the love of God. We are not self-sufficient at any level. The reason that you and I awakened today was by the grace of our God. And so in light of all of this, I'm encouraging every one of us to think with me today. Do we worship God because he accomplishes our will or do we worship him to accomplish his? This is the fundamental question Jonah asks me. So will we let the God, love of God redefine us and reshape our hearts these days? Or will we hold on to our will and fight against the winds and the worms and sulk? There's three things I wanna offer you this morning. First of all, examine your heart. This is the story, that's why I've called this series I Am Jonah because I want each one of us to fill in the blank. I am or I am not Jonah. In verse four, God asked Jonah a question. Is it right for you to be angry? So what are you really living for? Has your heart both the good and for bad been exposed this past year? Mine has. Have you given yourself permission to hate and speak ill of people? I found myself I have. Have you justified not being a person shaped by and living for grace because it's just not right? I have. And when I come to the truth, I must stand before God and say, I have dismissed the grace you've given me by not allowing myself to give it to anybody else. That's a, that's a heart issue before it ever becomes behavior. The solution is to take my heart to him and ask him to do his work in those spaces of self-sufficiency and self-righteousness. You can't live with the divided heart. So you pursue God by examining yours and giving it to him. Second, confess the sin in your heart. Jonah confessed his sin in the belly of the fish and I believe later too, But confession means to unmask the sin. Confession is to say to God, I just treated that person differently than you've ever treated me, Father. Please forgive me and teach me how to do this. Teach me how to love like I've been loved. Serve like I've served, been served by you, rather. And lastly, hold on to the grace of God's patient love. 
Do you remember when you first became a believer and you realized that all you needed was God's love? All you needed was the blood of Christ? That the gospel was true and you knew in your soul that all you simply needed was to surrender yourself to God? Do you remember how passionate we were about pursuing God? We never thought for a second that the will of God would offend us. We never thought for a second that we would look at the will of God and say, nah, I'm good. It reminds me in Psalm 51 of when David had his great sin with Bathsheba and he wrote out his prayer. And in Psalm 51, he says, restore unto me the joy of my salvation. Remind my soul what it was to be saved. Church, I don't want any person to walk out of here going, I have to beat myself up every morning so I remember what a scum I am. No, remember how blessed you are by the grace of God, not how blessed you are because you're you. And we awaken every morning with praise and worship so that Sunday morning is not the only morning we sing. It's not the only time we open the word, but we hold on to the grace of the patient love of God. And when those voices speak to your soul about, are you serious? Are you really a Christian? After all the things you do day in and day out, remember that God's love came to you because you needed it, not because you earned it. And God's love will never stop coming to you until you reject it and walk away. You follow him daily. You hold on to the grace. See, I want you to take the elements for the Lord's Supper that you have prepared just ready. Now, I know some of you are going to cheat and beat me to this, but just hold on to them for a moment. Because when we gather around the table, when we come into the presence of Jesus, who one day said, I will eat and drink this feast with you again in my new kingdom. And one day we are all going to gather around his table. And around that table, we will eat and drink in commemoration of our Lord and Savior and the great gift when he passed us over in judgment and brought us love and mercy. And this juice and this bread symbolize what I just asked you to consider every day. This is the moment when we as a people examine our hearts, confess our sins, and grasp onto grace. To know that we can only eat and drink of this, not because we're worthy, but because he gave himself to us. The reckless love of God poured out for us repeatedly, constantly, intentionally, relentlessly. Aren't we a blessed people? So today, if you are a believer in Jesus, we invite you to join us in this moment where you take his body and blood sacrificed on the cross to yourself symbolically. You eat and drink, remembering to examine your heart confess our sin and receive his forgiveness just like he wants us to. Let's pray. Father, speak so we can hear. Silence us so we can listen. Show us our hearts, not that we may fear or tremble, but show us our hearts that we can confess, repent, and come to life. Father, soften our hearts to serve you. Soften our hearts with the love that you offer, that we might then love others the way you've loved us. We pray this only because, Jesus, you'll help us. Amen. Thanks again for checking out this podcast. We hope this teaching helped you to discover completeness in Jesus and encourages you to help others do the same. For more resources or to learn about Christ Church in general, visit us online at cco.church.